I'm Phil Malding, the pastor of Congregational Life here at Bethany, and uh, it's my privilege to share from God's Word with you this morning. Our senior pastor, Richard, is on some much-earned and deserved uh, vacation, and will be back with us soon. But we are in a sermon series from Luke, Encounters with Christ, and today we have this encounter of Jesus and Zacchaeus, and we're going to see how Zacchaeus is motivated uh, to see Christ how he will receive this invitation from Christ. There will be some confession from Zacchaeus, and ultimately there will be redemption and salvation come to Zacchaeus. But as we head into this, I'm wondering if you have ever had an encounter with a famous person, or maybe you tried to encounter somebody who was famous. And I want to share a little story that uh, Pastor Brad and I had. Uh, Brad is our uh, lead pastor over at our Ballard campus. But when he was first new to Seattle, uh, a former uh, Bethany person who had moved to Vancouver, Washington, was still a Mariners season ticket holder. And they had tickets to this event. They knew I was a Mariners fan. I said, Phil, I want to give you two tickets to this event. It's at, at Safeco. It's on the very first day of the baseball season, but the Mariners are playing away. So for season ticket holders, they're opening up Safeco Field. They're going to show the game on the big screen. They will allow you to walk through the dugout and onto the field, the bases, and, and they'll put you in the box seats. There'll be some free concessions, and there'll be some former Mariners uh, walking around in the crowd as well. Great. I would love that. Brad being new to Seattle, I thought this was a great opportunity. I knew Brad was a baseball fan. I knew he was even from Anaheim and the, uh, because we were playing the Angels. So this just seemed too perfect. So now I want you to remember that I'm going to this uh, Mariners event with Brad. And here's how he is dressed. Oh, wait. Now, how did that get up there? That's my grandson. Uh, he was born in February, and that's, that's the first game we went to in July. I have no, I, as a proud grandparent, I don't know how that got up there, but that's Jonah, and uh, so I think there is a picture of Brad somewhere. Maybe, okay, there's Brad in the dugout. I mean, he's got his angel's jacket down there. He's got his angel's cap on. I mean, he's in full regalia, and so we're in the concourse there, and all of a sudden I see Jay Buhner, and he's a Mariner great. He's sort of in the Mariner Hall of Fame. He was an all-star. He hit uh, three seasons. He hit over 40 home runs. There's, but there's this massive crowd, crowd around him, and the, and the crowd kind of goes by us, and I'm like, oh, he's like one of my favorite players. But I was like, really? Like, you should, you know, like, ah, you know, like, I just, not my thing, style. And Brad's like, wow, we should totally meet him. So he goes on by, and then about 10 minutes later, all of a sudden, we see him coming back our way, and he's moving pretty slow because, again, there's this big crowd of people around him trying to talk to him and get autographs and things, and Brad's like, come on, come on, come on. We're going. He like, gets us sort of positioned in the right spot where Jay's got to run right into us, and sure enough, we wait, and here comes the crowd, and still people are kind of, you know, it's kind of hard, but Brad, he just sort of jumps into the middle, <laughs> and he's like hey, you're my friend's favorite player. And Jay kind of steps back at this crazy man who is in full angel regalia <laughs> and says, buddy, you have the wrong jersey on. And Brad goes, well, that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> and, but will you take a picture with my friend? So that's what we do. We take a picture and I have uh, that. And then as 
I'm, uh, as, as we're snapping the picture, Jay kind of says to me, you could need to get better friends. Um, <laughs> so that's my encounter with someone famous. But this morning, I want us to encounter Jesus. And I want to know if you want to encounter Jesus. Our first point this morning is that Zacchaeus is motivated. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. So Jesus is strolling through Jericho. The scholars tell us it's probably his third time through the city. And Zacchaeus is, in fact, a short little man, a wee little man, if you know the Sunday school song. And presumably the crowd is enough that that Zacchaeus can't get through it, despite his, his wealth. And so he sees where Jesus is going. He goes down to the spot where he thinks Jesus will come by. He climbs up in this tree and he waits. And sure enough, Jesus comes by. But now, what we need to know about Zacchaeus is he's not any just ordinary guy. He's, in fact, uh, hated by the Jewish people because he is a Jew who is working for the occupying force. He is working for the Roman Empire as a tax collector. And not only is he just a tax collector collecting all of their taxes as one of their countrymen working for the oppressor, but he is a chief tax collector. He's in charge of this whole area and district around Jericho. And it's made him very wealthy. I often find it helpful when we're reading the Bible to, to, to sort of look at the historical context. And so that part is important. But I also sort of like, what does this look like in the present day? Like in my current context, what would this look like? And, and when I think of a, of a rich guy climbing up on a tree, I mean, it's a little bit of kind of undignified, right? It's a little odd. And I got to thinking like, what would that look like today? Well, and I got to think, well, if I was down in Pioneer Square and there's some trees there and there was a, a guy in a, in, a, in a nice business suit and tie and his wingtips and his black leather suitcase and he's up in a tree sitting on a branch, I mean, this is a weird sight, right? This is unexpected. This is Zacchaeus. He doesn't care about his self-image or if this seems a little childish to be climbing a tree. I mean, it also opens himself up. I don't know, like short people, usually when they do something to compensate for their height, the rest of us people who aren't so kind, we like to kind of make fun a little bit about their shortness. Zacchaeus is exposing himself up to even a little bit of ridicule in the moment. But he's not concerned about this. And I also was thinking, what else do we do? It's like, I, you know, we lift little kids. I'll lift Jonah up and put him on my shoulders sometime, I'm sure, to help him see something better. I got to thinking about the Seahawks Super Bowl parade downtown. I was part of that crowd. And there was people climbing up lampposts and on top of mailboxes. They were climbing anything to get a view because of the great crowd. Well, this is Zacchaeus. He is motivated. He is motivated to see Jesus. But, but what is his motivation? Well, the, the text doesn't tell us, but we can sort of try to make some assumptions about what might be going on. It might have been sort of a personal emptiness in his own heart. Maybe he'd found that his wealth wasn't all that he thought it would be. It didn't bring him peace or contentment, that he wasn't satisfied. Maybe there was a personal crisis in his life. Maybe it was a health issue, probably not a money issue with him. But maybe a marriage didn't solve the loneliness that was in his heart. Or didn't, the marriage didn't all of a sudden dissipate his issues with lust. Or maybe he was battling anxiety, just trying to get through each day without a panic attack. There was something motivating him. Maybe he was just curious 
about this teacher from Galilee who's proclaiming the kingdom of God who the crowds seem to follow. But whatever it is, he is motivated, he has a need, and he wants to see Jesus. And then I ask, do we want to see Jesus? Are we getting in a position to see Christ? Well, the good news, you said, well, Phil, how do I do that? Well, the good news is you've already done it. You're here. You're at church. This is one of the ways. And worship services are designed for us to encounter Christ in a bunch of different ways. Often, uh, we think of art and architecture that reflects right, the grandeur of God. We have things that remind us of our faith. We come in and we sing worship and praise to the Lord and the Holy Spirit meets us in that moment. Maybe the lyrics speak to us or as we proclaim God's word and and read scripture, there's spoken word, there's moments where we greet one another or we see friends and we are the body of Christ. You want to see Christ? Come to the body of Christ and we encourage each other, we pray with each other, we challenge each other, we love on each other. But we can encounter Christ in a lot of different ways. In our small group, when we're maybe home alone reading scripture or praying. But we can even encounter Christ out in nature or even at, the, uh, at our work site with that annoying person that maybe God has brought to us to teach us something or reveal something to us. God can reveal himself anywhere. But I found if when I really need Christ, it's often the best place is hanging out with God's people. But ultimately, We want this because we want transformation. We want to see the kingdom of God around us, in the world around us, and in our own heart. We want to see peace and justice and kindness and gentleness. We want to see generosity and inclusion. We want to see joy. Our next point then is there's motivation and then there's invitation. So if we go back to the text here in verse 5 to 7, Jesus reaches a spot, he looks up, and he says to Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I love that, welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of sinners. So Zacchaeus sees Jesus, but Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And Jesus initiates, he goes over to Zacchaeus at the tree. And, and again, um, Zacchaeus is somebody who is not well-liked. I don't know that we really kind of get the idea of what a tax collector meant. A traitor, right? To his countrymen, he was a traitor. He was somebody despicable. Like, who are the people in your life that, around you that you would not want to be seen with hanging out with? That you think is sort of disgusting, a couple of weeks ago, in the local Seattle news, it was actually a friend of mine from high school who's done some pretty horrendous things, some Me Too type of violations that are horrible and sick in my heart and sadden my, my, my spirit for those who've been offended. And there was sort of this email stream that came around with some old high school friends. And there was sort of this little group of us that was like, we don't agree with what has happened here, but we know 
that God still loves him and he clearly needs Christ in his life? Can we reach out to him? And then in my humanness, I'm like, do I really want to sit in a coffee shop with this person? Because there are politicians and all sorts of people are distancing themselves. And yet I know that Christ calls me to love everyone and to be a reflection of Christ to them. This is what Jesus is doing for Zacchaeus. And why does he do this for Zacchaeus? Because he just loves his children. Quite honestly, like, my grandson is quite out of place right here. The only reason he is here is because I love him and I delight in him. And I want to share him, right? But he doesn't really belong here. He hasn't done anything to earn it. He hasn't anything, done anything to earn my, my love. But this is how God delights in all of his children, in each and every one of you. He delights in you. He loves you. And so there's this acceptance before Zacchaeus has done anything. I believe that you're here today because you came to know Jesus. And he's here and he desires to come home with you. So let's go back to the invitation. Jesus is very cunning. He's pretty clever here. He actually invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. That's pretty out of context for us in our culture today. But when this happened in the ancient world, the host was then obligated to take you in, and there were certain things that they would need to do for you. And Jesus knew this. They would need to offer to have your feet washed. They would need to provide you refreshments, a meal if needed. They would uh, shelter you, protect you. They would also need to engage you. They couldn't just invite you in and then leave you alone. And then Jesus also knew that it obligated him, as the one being hosted culturally, to leave a gift for the host. And Jesus has a great gift planned for Zacchaeus, but I don't want to get too far ahead of our story. So uh, Jesus is, is really clever in this invitation, in engaging Zacchaeus. And the point is that, that Jesus makes his invitation to come into our home. And it's an open invitation to us. And he loves to come into our lives. The other part of that uh, piece I read is, is the crowd. The crowd is grumbling. And the crowd has been sort of a character throughout our uh, stories of encounter with Christ. They are there crowding around Jesus when the woman is reaching for the hem of his garment for healing. They are the crowd that needs feeding uh, the 5,000. And here they're grumbling. They're complaining. And they're complaining, and we've seen this complaint before of Jesus. The Pharisees, uh, back in Luke chapter 5, complained, and they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's like there's two categories of sinners. There's, there's sinners, normal sinners, and then there's tax collectors. Right? Well... Jesus wants to come home with him. It's a great invitation. And then, uh, and just to sort of note here, Zacchaeus, um, scholars believe like there's, there's been a shift in the scene. We're not at the foot of the tree anymore. Z- Jesus has gone to Zacchaeus' home. Now, Z- Zacchaeus was, was 
very wealthy. I sort of kind of think like, you know, house on the waterfront on Lake Washington, kind of Medina type of, type of neighborhood. And one of the other traditions is when you had a teacher, when you had a rabbi come into your house, you, you sort of opened it up to the public so that others could hear the teaching that might happen in that space. And certainly that teaching comes around like people who might ask Jesus questions and there would be little teaching moments. But sometimes the rabbis would have sort of a prepared teaching. And, and so we don't know exactly what happened, but here's what we know. We know that something significant has shifted in Zacchaeus' heart. He's heard something. He's, something has changed in him radically. Because when they start to grumble again, he, he makes this proclamation. He stands up and he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So you're following along. This is point three. There's, there's like this repentance moment. He calls him Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to turn my life over to you. You are my Lord now. This is the proper response to Christ when he reveals himself to us. We can, we can sort of surmise that because of Zacchaeus' uh, career choice here to be a tax collector and sort of his confession here that probably money and greed was an issue with this guy. He didn't get to be the chief tax collector without it. And so he's saying, you know what? I'm not going to be enslaved by that anymore. Jesus, I'm going to make you Lord. My wealth will not control me any longer. In fact, I will, would rather be poor with you, Jesus, than have the riches of this world. I'd rather have the riches of Christ. He responds by giving it all up. He welcomes Christ warmly into his home, but into his whole life. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty exciting. He does hear what James 2 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So it isn't that, that in this offer to give away half of his wealth, like this, this stands, this is a big thing. Half of his wealth, unprompted, this stands in contrast to the rich young ruler who comes to Christ and says, hey, I've kind of done everything the law says to do. I'm a pretty good dude. And Jesus says, oh yeah, well, how about giving your wealth away to the poor? And he says, no way, I'm not doing it. Instead, Zacchaeus, unprompted by Christ, says, hey, let me put some action to what's happened in my heart. I'll give away half of my wealth. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty telling. He's not buying his relationship with Christ. It's an outflow of what has already happened. And he does something else interesting. He makes this offer to make amends. And this is a biblical principle that we uh, find in Leviticus and we find in Numbers. Let me read uh, Numbers chapter 5, verses uh, 5 to 7. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When a man or woman wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord. Well, it's interesting that when we wrong somebody, we're unfaithful to the Lord. We're sort of unfaithful in our faith, aren't we? When we wrong someone else, we're, we're not following biblical principles. And so we've not only wronged them, but we've hurt our relationship with Christ. That it goes on to say, that person is guilty and must confess the sin he has committed. And Zacchaeus, in a way, is standing up and saying, hey, I know I have wronged some people. 
I will make this right. It goes on to say, he must make full restitution for his wrong and add one-fifth to it and give it all to the person he has wronged. But Zacchaeus, he blows this out of the water. He's not adding 20%. He's saying four times what I took, I will repay. Zacchaeus models, even as a tax collector, something pretty powerful. Right? But there needs to be confession. Sometimes we just need to make an apology and go to that person and say, I was wrong. We may need to make physical or monetary restitution. And I believe that even when we've come to faith, even those things that have, we did before we came to Christ, often we need now as a person of faith to go back and make that wrong, that wrong right. And so scripture tells us to make these amends. But it can be kind of complicated. Like, what do I do about moral wrongs? And how do I, you know, like, it's confusing. It's a process. Have I got a deal for you? We teach a class here at Bethany called Spiritual Journey. It's a powerful process based on, on biblical principles to transform your life in Christ because of the Holy Spirit's work in it. And it is... It, grows you spiritually and emotionally and relationally. There's some small group. There's some workbook. I I literally have led over a thousand people here at Bethany through this over the past 14 years. And And I've been teaching this class for like 20 years. It's a foundational class here at Bethany. In fact, when we look at sort of our, our leadership, often we see that the change in their life was when they took spiritual journey. But in that, the Lord met them, and there was a shift in their heart. They knew who they were in Christ. They dealt with old hurts and habits and hang-ups. They got free from stuff in the past. They stopped listening to all those lies of the enemy, and they're transformed. I want to read a list of some common behavior characteristics of all of us that are dysfunctional, which means if you have a belly button, And I'm sure Zacchaeus had some of these, and maybe you do as well, and I know I do. We have feelings of low self-esteem that cause us to judge ourselves and others without mercy. We cover up or compensate by trying to be perfect, take responsibility for others, attempt to control the outcome of unpredictable events, and get angry when things don't go our way, or gossip instead of confronting an issue. We tend to isolate ourselves and to feel uneasy around other people, especially authority figures. We are approval seekers and will do anything to make people like us. I've got a little bit of that. We are extremely loyal, even in the face of evidence that suggests loyalty is undeserved. We are intimidated by angry people and personal criticism. This causes us to feel anxious and overly sensitive. We habitually choose to have relationships with emotionally unavailable people with addictive personalities and are usually less attracted to healthy, caring people. The good news is we work this class, we become those healthy, caring people ourselves. We live life as victims and are attracted to other victims in our love and friendship relationships. We confuse love with pity and to love people we can pity and rescue. I've got a little bit of a rescuer in me. I don't know about you. We are either overly responsible or very irresponsible. 
We try to solve others' problems or expect others to be responsible for us. This enables us to avoid looking closely at our own behavior. We feel guilty when we stand up for ourselves or act assertively. We give in to others instead of taking care of ourselves. We deny, minimize, or repress our feelings from our traumatic childhoods. We have difficulty expressing our feelings and are unaware of the impact this has in our lives. Man, that really defined me years ago as I started this process. And even now, you'll see I'm not that animated up here, right? I'm not a big extrovert. I'd much rather you not see any of my feelings. But I've grown in that. We are dependent personalities who are terrified of rejection or abandonment. We tend to stay in jobs or relationships that are harmful to us. Our fears can either stop us from ending hurtful relationships or prevent us from entering healthy, rewarding ones. Denial, isolation, control, misplaced guilt are symptoms of family dysfunction. Because of these behaviors, we feel hopeless and helpless. We have difficulty with intimate relationships. We feel insecure and lack trust in others. We don't have clearly defined boundaries and become enmeshed with our partner's needs and emotions. We have difficulty falling through on projects from beginning to end. We have a strong need to be in control. We overreact to change in which we have no control. We tend to be impulsive. We take action before considering alternative behaviors and possible consequences. The good news is that in Christ, we can overcome all this garbage. This is part of the fall. This is part of what all of us struggle with. And we are not alone in it, but the enemy would tell us we are alone. So Zacchaeus is motivated, he gets his invitation, he confesses, and now finally our last point, there's salvation. This is the gift that Jesus is going to leave with Zacchaeus. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Others would say that Zacchaeus is not in the kingdom, but Jesus says he is. In fact, he uses a, a very powerful title in Jewish tradition. He calls him a son of Abraham, which is not just a reference to uh, his you know, genetic DNA uh, being Jewish and a son of Abraham, but being a spiritual heir, being a spiritual son of Abraham, having the faith of Abraham. This would have blown the minds of the crowd and the people around Jesus. This didn't meet their expectation. But Jesus came to seek and save. And here's the part. Like, salvation has come. Forgiveness has come through Christ. And for many of you, I, I know it's kind of like a, well, no, duh, Phil, we, we get forgiveness. We've been to church before. But do you really? Because sometimes I wrestle with it. Because it's, it's up here, I know it here, because we're all smart, educated people, but to have that seep down into our heart and our soul is something entirely different. And that's what I love about Spiritual Journey. It's, it's helped give me and others a process to have that seep into our heart and soul and really know our identity in Christ. You're forgiven. That means all your past wrongs are deleted. And then the recycle bin is deleted, and then the hard drive is erased, and then the computer's thrown into the ocean. 
Like it is gone. You are forgiven. And to not forgive yourself is to not be in agreement with God and call God a liar. You are forgiven. Let that seep into your heart and into your soul. Live into that freedom, into that mercy, into that amazing grace. And and I want you to know that Zacchaeus, like the prodigal son, and like each and every one of us, Christ takes this robe of righteousness, this white robe, and he covers our blackness and wraps it around us and says, you are new, you are whole, here is life, you are righteous because of me. Celebrities are hard to get access to. I got through the crowd with the help of Brad. Zacchaeus got through the crowd with the help of a tree. But Jesus came and hung on a tree, hung on a wooden cross, so that we could have access to God the Father 24-7 and be pure and blameless and stand in Christ's righteousness and enjoy the life found in God. That's the beauty of Christ. I mean, this is me at my most excited, but I want you to know I'm excited. (laughs) This is really good news. It's a beautiful thing that we can call on the Lord, that we are forgiven, that there is salvation, yes, eternally for my spirit, but also there is salvation here and now There is wholeness and freedom. It's a new way of living. I love these lessons from Zacchaeus. Right? Are we motivated? Are we thirsty after Jesus? Do we desire to see him? Are we willing to humble ourselves a little and not care about our self-image? Often I wonder if we are. Like, are we willing to even walk down the aisle and, and come to the altar and fall on our face and and confess to the Lord, or write in these prayer journals, or or come forward and talk to our wonderful, trustworthy prayer partners, and just say to another human, here's what I need. Will you pray for me? I hope we'll, you know, but we get get afraid. Am I Jesus freak? Are people going to see me? What are they going to think I'm praying about? That's a bunch of garbage. It's a bunch of enemy talk trying to keep us from Christ. It's part of the crowd trying to Keep us away. And then the invitation. Are we accepting the invitation from Christ to go home with him, to have him live with us? Are, we, are there people that we think aren't invited, that we need to love more, and we need to invite them to Christ? And are we ready to confess? Are we ready to give up that which holds us Zacchaeus was willing to give up his greed and to walk in a new way, new behaviors. And finally, I just, Jesus is seeking you. Receive that salvation that he's offering. Again, I I needed someone to help introduce me to Jay, and he's not life-changing, let me assure you. But I want to help introduce you to Christ. Because he picks you out of a crowd, he knows you by name, and he invites you into relationship. And then he has this gift of life for you. 
a whole new way of being. We just have to surrender. We just have to take the invitation. Many of you that I know, you know Christ, and yet all of us are learning to give a little bit more of ourselves and make him Lord of everything. Because in our humorness, yes, he's Lord, but man, there's some things I kind of take back or some hidden areas I don't really want to give to him. Or, oh, another exposed area that I didn't realize wasn't fully surrendered. And for us, we need that kind of surrender moment. But there may be some of you in here who have never accepted Christ, who have never said, yeah, I, I would like to take Jesus home with me. I need a new life. I need something different. I need forgiveness. I, I want to encourage you. Uh, here in a moment, I'm going to pray. And you can just repeat the little prayer that I'm going to pray. There's nothing magical about the words. You could use your own words. But I just want to give you a way to cry out to God and say yes to Jesus. John 8 says, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And that's what I want. I want for you to be free. Let's pray. And you might just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. And I want to open the door of my life to you and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. And Lord, for all of us, we need more of you. We need to see you each and every day. Would you continue to reveal yourself to us? And I thank you that you love us, that you delight in us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.